This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to the Space News by spaceindustrynews.com. My name is Will, and guess what was underneath Greenland? There's some Greenland ice stuff going on. There's an international team and NASA. They've discovered something really cool under some Greenland ice. I'm going to jump into this because I think this is probably the coolest thing that I've seen as far as uh, some large meteorite impact craters it's hidden under more than a half mile of ice in the northwest northwest of greenland uh the first crater this crater is the first of any size found under the greenland ice sheet and is one of the 25 largest impact craters on our world the earth on our mother gaia measuring roughly a thousand feet deep and more than 19 miles in diameter an area slightly larger than that inside washington's capital beltway so it's 19 miles in diameter. That's pretty good. That's a pretty big one. Uh, the group led by researchers from the University of Copenhagen Center for Geogenetics at the Natural History Museum of Denmark worked for the last three years to verify the discovery. Three years to verify this is a large impact crater. Three years. And uh, they initially made um, this um, discovery in 2015 uh, using NASA data. And their finding is published in the November 14th issue of the journal Science Advances. Um, so Joe McGregor at NASA uh, from Goddard Space Flight Center in the Greenbelt, Maryland, um, said NASA makes the data it collects freely available to scientists and the public all around the world. That set the stage for our Danish colleagues. Eureka moment. So basically, NASA is like, hey, we get all this cool stuff, right? We do all this cool science. And what we want from you as a normal human being, as a scientist, as whoever has access to this data, we want you to use this data and we want you to discover things because we like literally they don't have the time for all the data that they gather. NASA doesn't have all the time. They don't have the resources to do everything with all the data that they get. So that's where these guys come into play, right? They found this Greenland crater because NASA allowed them to. NASA published all of their findings and said, hey, guys, you uh, you want this? Okay. So that's what they did. They found some stuff. They found some stuff because of the NASA research, the NASA data. Um, and they first spotted the crater in July of 2015 while they're inspecting a new map of the uh, topography beneath Greenland's ice sheet that used ice-penetrating radar data from NASA's Operation Ice Bridge, a multi-year airborne mission to track changes in the polar ice and earlier NASA airborne missions in Greenland. The scientists noticed an enormous, previously unexamined circular depression under Hiawatha Glacier, sitting at the very edge of the ice sheet in northwestern Greenland. And using using uh, satellite imagery from the moderate-resolution imaging 
spectroradiometer instrument at NASA's Terra and Aqua satellites. And McGregor also examined the surface of the ice in the Hiawatha Glacier region and quickly found evidence of a circular pattern on the ice surface that matched the one observed in the bed topography map. So they were using uh, NASA resources, basically, NASA data, um, to spot this thing. And to confirm their suspicions, in May of 2016, the team sent a research plane from Germany's Alfred Wegener Institute to fly over the Hiawatha Glacier and map the crater in the overlying ice with a slate or state-of-the-art ice-penetrating radar provided by the University of Kansas. McGregor, who is an expert in radar measurements on ice, uh, helped design the airborne survey. So um, McGregor stated previous radar measurements of Hiawatha Glacier, Glacier were part of a long-term NASA effort to map Greenland's changing ice cover. Uh, what we really needed to test our hypothesis was a dense and focused radar survey there. The survey exceeded all expectations and imaged the depression in stunning detail. A distinctly circular rim, central uplift, disturbed and undisturbed ice layering, and uh, basal debris. It's all there. So they have all the data. They did all the work. And the crater formed less than 3 million years ago, according to the study, when an iron meteorite more than half a mile wide smashed into northwest Greenland. The resulting depression was subsequently covered by ice. And, um, you know, the crater's condition indicates the impact might even have occurred toward the end of the last ice age, which would place the resulting crater among the youngest on the planet. So it's relatively new considering, you know, the, the age of our planet. And, you know, it, these things can happen anytime. You know, the if it some random thing flies out of the sky and smashes into something on the ground, it can happen. It happened then. It can happen now. So not to scare you guys, but <laughs> this, it happens a lot. There's stuff flying at us all the time. And in the summers of uh, 2016 and 2017, uh, the research team returned to the Hiawatha Glacier to map tectonic structures in the rock near the foot of the glacier and collect samples of sediments washed out from the depression through a meltwater channel. Um, a representative of the University of Denmark said, some of the quartz sand coming from the crater had planar deformation features indicative of a violent impact. This is conclusive evidence that the depression's benefit, or beneath the Hiawatha Glacier, is a meteorite crater. So this is conclusive ed evidence. The quartz is conclusive evidence about the crater um and that was from uh nicolaj larson of arhus university in denmark i don't know if it's pronounced arhus i just said that but it's a a r h u s and he's one of the authors of the study um so earlier studies have shown large impacts can profoundly affect earth's climate with major consequences for life on earth at the time the researchers plan to continue their work in this area, addressing remaining questions on when and how the meteorite impact on Hiawatha Glacier affected the planet. So, you know, this this meteorite could have had an effect on uh, life back in the day when it was when it came down and smashed into our awesome planet three million years ago. 
so you know there's there's a lot to be said by this kind of technology in things that you know you don't really expect from uh, some data that you get from nasa so these guys did a really great job and you know it's an international team there's a, a bunch of different people involved so this is really cool and i'm really excited to uh to have shared this with you now from here we're going to talk about a little bit of technology india has launched gslv rocket gsat 29 so india launched the third flight of its geosynchronous satellite launch vehicle mark 3 wednesday carrying the gsat 29 satellite into orbit and so liftoff from the second launch pad of the uh i'm gonna butcher this and i'm sorry this isn't my native language satish dawan dawan d-h-a-w-a-n space center occurred at 1708 local time that's 11:38 utc so the geosynchronous satellite launch mark 3 or the GSLV Mark III is India's newest and most powerful rocket. And after making a suborbital demonstration launch in later in late 2014, the rocket made its first orbital mission last June when it deployed the GSAT-19 spacecraft. And Wendy's launch, Wednesday's launch was designated D2, indicating that it was the rocket's second deve- developmental launch. However, like last year's flight, its payload, GSAT-29, is a fully operational satellite. And now GSAT-29 is a high throughput telecommunication satellite that will join the Indian National Satellite, the INSAT fleet, in geostationary orbit. Um, the almost 8,000 pound, it's about 7,500 pound spacecraft, was built by the Indian Space Research Organization, the ISRO, and is based around the i3k platform isro will also operate the satellite and conducted wednesday's launch to place it into orbit and the gsat 29 will position itself in geostationary orbit over the equator at a longitude of 55 degrees east the satellite's communications payload consists of kuin ka band transponders producing four spot beams in each band with an additional steerable ka beam which will be used to serve rural and remote parts of India. In addition to its primary mission, the GSAT-29 will demonstrate new technologies that can be incorporated into future satellites. These include Q-band and V-band payloads operating at higher frequencies that are not widely used by current satellites. In an optical communications experiment, the Optical Communications Technology Demonstrator, the OCT, and the GSAT-29, that's not it. That's not all, ladies and gentlemen. The GSAT-29 also carries the Geo high-resolution camera, a high-resolution image payloading or imaging payload equipped with a satellite to photograph the Earth from high above, which will investigate the value of such systems for future, future geostationary missions. Um, and it's going to last about 10 years. Um, so Wednesday's launch saw ISRO take another step towards becoming self-sufficient for launching its own sats. Its polar satellite launch vehicle, the PSLV, already provides India with reliable access to space for Earth observation and scientific missions requiring low orbit of uh, smaller satellites, but the country's ability to launch communication satellites to vital geostationary orbits 
has been constrained by the modest payload capacity and poor reliability of the MK-1 Mark II GSLV rockets. Um, so the Mark III is brand new. It's completely brand new. It's a three-stage vehicle. It consists of a solid-fueled first-stage um, two boosters attached on either side of the liquid-fueled core, or the second, second stage, and a cryogenic third stage completes insertion of the payload into orbit. On its maiden flight December 2014, GSLV Mark III successfully demonstrated its first and second stages. The launch with it uh, which included an inert third stage, boosted a prototype capsule of a suborbital test flight in support of India's plans for future crewed space missions. Two and a half years later, in 2017, the rocket's next flight carried GSAT-19 to orbit. So they're on their way, man. They're getting these satellites launched up there now. They got GSAT-29, man. They're going, they're going full on. The IS... RO is going crazy with these satellites. So they can launch these things now. It's been proven. So they're going to continue down this path and they're going to launch more satellites in the future. This is great news for um, for the Indian space uh, tech business. Now traveling six light years from Earth, the second closest star system to our sun hosts a frozen super Earth. Frozen. It's frozen, made out of ice. According to new findings by an international team of researchers, Barnard's star is a small ancient kind of sun called a red dwarf, and while it's not easily visible with a telescope, Barnard's star has long attracted astronomers' gaze as the fastest-moving star in the night sky. So Barnard's star uh, B has a few major differences from Earth. The exoplanet orbits its star and about 233 days, far less than Earth's 365 days, um, but longer than many other known exoplanets discovered. So the exoplanet is also much closer to its star than Earth is to our sun at just 0.4 times the distance between Earth and the sun. But despite being so close to its star, life for Bernard's star provides the exoplanet with only 2% of the energy that the sun provides to the earth. That means that even though the exoplanet is close to its star, closer to its star than we are, uh, it's still cold enough that the water freezes there. And the research has found that the exoplanet likely has a temperature of about negative 274 degrees Fahrenheit. That's negative 170 degrees Celsius. And there are still many mysteries surrounding this newly discovered exoplanet. Um, so, you know, the surface could be warmer but it's not it's frozen um so there's a uh, joanna tesk from the carnegie science research center said i think a big unknown is whether it has an atmosphere or not and if this planet had an atmosphere maybe that could keep the surface temperature warming so this is how they found the thing like uh to find bernard's star b this is how you find it um researchers use the doppler effect as the planet orbits a star the planet's gravitational pull causes its star to wobble a little bit. Wobble, wobble, wobble. When the planet moves closer to the star, the starlight is shifted towards shorter blue wavelengths, called the blue shift. And when the planet moves farther away from the star, the starlight shifts longer, 
which is red wavelengths, also called redshift. Uh, among instruments that the researchers used uh, were the HARPS spectrograph at European Southern Observatory's 3.6 meter telescope in Chile, um, and they obs uh, observed and measured the effects of the planet on a Barnard star. So um, it wasn't an easy feat. It wasn't really easy to do this. Barnard star has a long history of astronomers making dubious exoplanet claims. People have thought there was planets around this thing for a really long time, and the researchers took great care to avoid repeating history and repeating these mistakes. One of the team lead scientists has said, we used observations from seven different instruments spanning 20 years of measurements. That's insane. 20 years of measurements made it capable for these people to find this frozen giant Earth-like exoplanet. 20 years of science, man. It took them 20 years to, to really get down to this. Now, this is a pretty cool discovery. And you know what else is pretty cool? You guys are pretty cool. Awesome transition, Will. You're the best at this podcasting thing. But really, though, you guys are really great, and I appreciate all your guys' support. If you'd like to support the pod more, make sure to subscribe to the pod. Make sure to leave a comment on iTunes or wherever you get your pods. And also, uh, there's a link in the description where you can donate to the pod to keep it going. You know, every little bit counts. If you have a dollar, if you have $5, if you have $10, it's up to you, whatever you want to do. This is like, you know, public broadcasting here. This is what we do. We have a pledge drive at the end of every podcast, I guess, from now on. So, uh, yeah, thanks, guys. I appreciate all of your support, and I will see you tomorrow. Have a good night. Signing off for the Space News by SpaceIndustryNews.com. This is Will.